This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Tim Prady will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today, it is April 11th, uh, midday. Obviously, the thing that's moving the markets the most is looking at uh, tentatively what March inflation is going to be like, and then also the non-farm payrolls that came out in March were roughly about in line in expectations. Um, you know, they grew 236,000 in the month. Unemployment still 3.5, and actually labor force um, participation uh, increased uh, really since the largest since the COVID, COVID-19 happened. Let's, Tim, let's get into those numbers. All right, Drew, good morning or good afternoon. Um, yeah, look, the non-farm payroll consistently is the best piece of employment data like every month. You know, if you look at the the ADP data and people say, well, ADP is not good. Well, ADP is really good data. Just because it doesn't correlate to non-farm payrolls doesn't mean it's not good data, but it's incredibly robust. Think of all the actual touches that are there with all of the people that have ADP you know, processing payroll. So uh, that's been much softer. The jolts has really started to, to, to roll over, which is job openings. You know, we've gone through this cycle here where for the first time in history, there's been two jobs open uh, for everyone seeking a job. Well, that number is finally starting to come down. It's starting to come down quite sharply, especially in the construction area. Uh, the challenger data, so layoffs, that has hooked higher quite noticeably. And most importantly, the weekly claims data has really started to move higher. And I think that is, it's a high frequency series, it's weekly, uh, and that is really starting to show some change. And just like a hundred other things, data series that people talk about, whenever you've had it move X percentage off the bottom, you've had a recession and we're there on that. Um, you know, on the other side of it, quits are still high. So job leavers uh, are still feeling confident, and they should, because in the ADP data and in the Atlanta Fed data, guys, people who are leaving their job uh, are still getting very high pay increases between 7 and 12% on average. And, you know, if you look in leisure and travel, if you look at the more uh, the part that the, that the Fed looks at, and we'll touch on this a little bit later, uh, in that sort of service area, leisure, hospitality, still very strong uh, job outlook in that credit-insensitive areas. But I'll leave it at that. Yeah, no, I, leisure and healthcare look strong as well. Uh, you've also had 6.7% of people stating that they have a part-time job for economic reasons. Um, yeah which is lower, but at the same time, we've seen layoffs surge 400% um, right in March from a year ago. So it's only a matter of time before we start to see an uptick in unemployment. Let, let's talk about credit outlook. Consumers in the New York survey are increasingly pessimistic. Um, and you know we're even seeing this in some forecasts from banks in terms of credit. Uh, you know Christopher Harvey, head of equity strategy at Wells Fargo, no, it's expected 10% correction in the next three to six months. Credit was, you know, one of the factors indicated in something like that. Um, so let, let's talk about it. Yeah, there's a reason why hedge fund positioning 
is as short as it is right now, and by some measures, it's the shortest it's been in 10 years. And that's because this credit data uh, is hitting you over the head that we are going to slow and we're going to slow in a hurry. I'm putting out an essay this week, and it shows the correlation to uh, commercial and industrial loan standards in U.S. unemployment with a lag, and it's a very, very high R squared. And credit, the credit conditions since Signature and uh, Silicon Valley are a disaster. They're, they just are. I mean, I don't mean to be part of the whole, you know, FUD, uh, fear, uncertainty, and doubt crowd, but everybody's looking at the same data. It's all bad and it all matters. If you, the senior loan officer survey data, we don't get again until May 8th, but it was already weakening meaningfully in a manner that has always preceded a recession uh, before we got Silicon Valley and Signature. But since then, we've gotten data from the Dallas Fed that looks terrible for commercial real estate and for CNI. We've gotten the Fed HA, H8 weekly data, which shows meaningful tightening and less availability and higher credit standards. And we also got some quarterly ABA data that shows the same thing. Uh, consumer NFIB, we got the National Federation of Independent Businesses or Small Companies saying the same thing. Credit is getting tighter, it's getting tighter in a hurry. And in the consumer surveys, you're seeing the same thing. Availability of credit is going down. I think last week I talked about how used car prices are at 10%. I mean, that is, that is, that is painful. Uh, so demand for credit from the consumer now all of a sudden is going up and its cost and its availability is going down. Uh, as I say, there's a reason why uh, the hedge fund guys are getting so bearish. It's because the credit data is bad and the credit data tells you what business conditions are going to be like in a very short period of time. And we saw policymakers say now in terms of 2024, they anticipate inflation, including food and energy, to decline to 2.5%. Uh, what do you make of that number? I think that's the- Hey, look, if, if look, you know where I am in terms of the much higher for longer issues around inflation. You know, we have a very strong view that we have a shortage of labor long-term in the developed world, and that labor shortage is gonna to continue to put pressure on inflation. But there are cycles, and in a cyclical recession, unemployment, I mean, uh, the, the, the uh, inflation numbers could come down fast. So there's a scenario where you get to 2%. You get to 2% in a hurry if you're putting up negative real and maybe even or not far from negative nominal GDP growth, inflation is going to come down in a hurry. But what does it do after that? What does it do when we come out of the cycle? So my focus isn't on do we get to two and a half percent? How long does it take? But what does it look like in the ensuing year in two years? If we have a super hard recession, inflation is going to go way down. That's not the point. The point is, is there this structural supply-driven inflationary pressure that is going to hang around for a long time and mean long-term higher rates and probably long-term lower equity multiples? Uh, think about the risks in the non-banking sector. So, you know, European Central Bank called out the persistent vulnerabilities in the non-banking sector. Um, we're talking about corporate borrowers across the board. Uh, I mean, it's obviously contagion. It's spread to, you know, other facets of, you know, the lending yeah. economy, too. I mean, look, it, it's a bit of a black box, right? It's not like the S&P where you can see what the price is every day. 
Uh, you are relying on big private equity companies uh, to update their marks. And we absolutely know that the marks are lagging on commercial real estate within uh, the alt world. Uh, you know, B-REIT, uh, the Blackstone REIT being most uh, uh, specific where people are like, you guys got to take a mark. Like, come on, look at where the public markets are in commercial real estate, especially in office. You guys have got to impair some of these numbers. Same thing could be true on the venture capital side. Uh, you know, you're, you're getting down rounds. You're not going to have the same go-go valuations. Why did Silicon Valley? Uh, why did Silicon Valley all of a sudden have a bunch of depositors who needed money because they weren't they they weren't able to access equity uh, in the way that they had been because you got down rounds and nobody wants to show the mark of taking a down round. So. Yeah, I think there's some risk on the alternative side. Now, this is where alpha matters, right? You're paying big fees to these guys um, to make this, the, the, the private equity transactions, whether it be in real estate or in venture or whatever. Uh, so alpha better be good, but it's not going to be good unanimously. And I think that, you know, you got to remember, the very wealthy in this country now have very big um, allocations towards private equity. And I'd be interested to see if you see some big headline uh, down marks in, in a lot of these valuations, uh, if, there's an, if there's a wealth effect uh, to that. Yeah. Wealth effect as in distributive or for Yeah, wealth effect as in people don't feel as wealthy as they did and all of a sudden they get their statements from their alternatives allocation uh, and it's down 30%. And then they feel uh, less wealthy. Yeah. You, you, you feel a little less wealthy. Yeah. You bequeath a little less every year. Um, so, you know, the International Monetary Fund said on Wednesday they reported that global tensions could disrupt overseas investments, and U.S. and China in particular could lead to a long term loss of 2% of the world's GDP. Uh, certainly seems to me the last week things have heightened quite considerably, whether we're talking about military activities in Taiwan, but also rhetoric coming out of mm -hmm. Chairman Xi. Uh, what do you, so what do you make of all that? You know, on one hand, I look at NVIDIA. Mm -hmm. I look at the semiconductor sector being the strongest sector in the stock market, NVIDIA being a huge leader. Where does NVIDIA make 100% of their chips? In Taiwan. 84% mm -hmm. of all advanced semiconductors are made in Taiwan. So on one hand, you read about, you know, a really extended military exercise blockade and the exercise of intercepting ships in the Straits of Taiwan, but the markets don't seem to take it seriously. Now, Foreign Affairs had a, uh, uh, a piece the other day where they just walked through um, some of the recent speeches from Xi, and they're bellicose as hell. I mean, he mm -hmm. is telling you that here's how we're spending money. Here's how we're here's how we're here's how we're preparing for it. Um, he seems to have you know more hawkish loyalists around him. So on one hand, you you look at how much worse the situation seems to be getting, and then you look and the market seems to be ignoring it. So uh, you know sometimes. You know, they say people don't lie, stocks don't lie, people do. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know who to believe in this case. And then you look at Macron going uh, and spending time with Xi and basically focusing on Russia, as he should, but also saying and making the point 
that, you know, France and the U.S. are not necessarily aligned. And I think the problem you have is protectionism, the, the American protectionism. And whether you think it's right or wrong is secondary. Whether you think it's important from the national security point of view, and I don't know how you could argue it isn't, is secondary. Protectionism makes for less trade. It makes for inflation. It makes for less global trade, less comparative advantage, all that. That's not good for growth. The IMF came out today and actually lowered their growth projections uh, to the lowest level since 1990 uh, globally. So this is having an impact. China is having an impact, and the U.S. protectionist response to it is having an impact. Yeah, I mean, the other thing, too, is to consider, I mean, NATO obviously is a lot less daylight in terms of their view on what's happening in Russia than China. I mean, that's a whole different world. Um, I mean, we're NATO is really a defensive measure against Russia these days, uh, mm -hmm. obviously Soviet Union. But there's not a really a reason why the French or Germans would have to have bad relations with the Chinese if they don't want to, um, you know, from real politique. Uh, and even even if the Chinese rhetoric is bad, like we've had no shortage of, I think it was uh, Air Force General uh, Mike Minahan. Um, you know, there's a leaked memo where he pretty much stated that he thought he could see war with us and to the Chinese in 20, by 2025. Yeah. So within two years, um, a protracted war, which is just wild to think about. It is wild to think about. It's scary to think about. It is in no way priced into this market. No. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I think, you know, you mentioned real politique. I mean, this is this is Kissinger of real politique at its most, um, you know, less idealistic. I mean, look, Europe should think of themselves as having a responsibility to defend Taiwan because Taiwan is a sovereign democracy that's going to get invaded. Um, you know, the same justification that we have for defending an imperfect democracy in the Ukraine. Uh, it's a sovereign country that got invaded. Um, and once you start saying, yeah, that's not really in our national interest, uh, I think you lose a lot of ideals. I'm not a I'm not a real politic aficionado, I guess. Yeah. No, I, I, he did have the statement, though, power is the ultimate aphrodisiac, and that applies between <laughs> countries, and just, it just might be between individuals. But, uh, but yeah, uh, anything we overlooked this week, Tim? You know, I, I just, I, I found an interesting study out of the Kansas City Fed. I had kind of referenced it when we started the podcast. Um, the Kansas City Fed did some work that showed that in less credit-sensitive industries, so things like travel and leisure and hospitality, uh, you still see a much, much stronger job market. And that is the part of the job market that has been so strong in pumping up these non-farm payroll numbers. And, and you see activity higher and momentum higher versus more credit-sensitive industries. It just, it, it just kind of speaks to uh, how strong this employment market is and why it's taken so long for the Fed to make an impact on uh, on the on the employment on the unemployment rate. They want to get unemployment down, 
but it's harder to do. And the Kansas City Fed basically says it takes six months more than in the credit side, credit sensitive industries. So they'll get there. But it's one of those reasons that helps us understand why it's taken so long, because so much of the hiring and so much of the wage growth has been in credit insensitive industries. I guess it's intuitive, but it was interesting to see uh, they mapped it out and kind of proved it out. That's well, look forward to reading that essay this week. Um, thanks for all our listeners and subscribers, and we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WellFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the contents. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.